Hello, family. I'm Jay Burks. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, it's nice to be sober today. Welcome to the newcomers. Uh, I know where Plymouth, um, uh, Minnesota is. My aunt and uncle live in Apple Valley uh, because uh, they're not as smart as we are. We live in California. But I'm glad you're here. Um, I, was think I was at a meeting this morning in um, Boise, Idaho. Uh, you know, the great thing about Zoom is all you have to do is put on a shirt and a hat and you can go anywhere in the world. So I was up in Boise and the topic was gratitude, you know, and it's like, yeah, OK, fine. But I was one of the last people to share and I really got to thinking about what what the people were talking about. You know, and it wasn't like, you know, I don't have to go to jail anymore and I don't wake up with a hangover anymore and. You know, I don't wake up next to somebody whose name I don't know, uh, which is important. I haven't done that since I got sober. But I really got to thinking about uh, just my life in general. I believe in a higher power. I have one that when I listen to him, my life runs pretty well. When I don't listen, it doesn't run as well. And I think we both sit back and laugh at that. About two and a half years ago, I got separated uh, from my wife, her idea, not mine. We sold our forever home. We sold most of our stuff. And uh, I was living in Santa Rosa, where I'd lived for 30 years. And I just didn't want to stay in the same town with all of that history that we had. And I was uh, I used to call my mom on the phone every day and talk because uh, my dad had passed and she needed somebody to talk to. And so did I. And so she knew what was going on and she knew why. And she says, well, I got this big house here in Orange County and it's all paid for. Uh, it's the house I lived in when I went to high school, I should point out. And she says, why don't you just come down here and live? You can live here as long as you want. And I went, wow. Now, the backstory to that is I didn't talk to my mom and dad for 25 years. Uh, and it was nothing that they had necessarily done. But I was mad at them because they weren't the parents I wanted them to be. Uh, they weren't Warden June Cleaver, that was for sure. And I thought, you know, and, and about, um, oh, maybe 15, 18 years ago, uh, at the urging of my sponsor, actually, it was a threat, uh, that, you know, we, we worked it out. And so here's this woman who I didn't talk to for a quarter of a century inviting me to come and live in her house. And I thought, wow, this program is just amazing. It heals families. Now, I also believe that uh, God puts me where he wants me and then uh, tells me what to do when I get there. So I get down here at Orange County and I'm here about three weeks and I realize I I was, I was going to look around and see where did I want to go live. For the first time in my life, I could go live anywhere I chose. And I thought that was kind of, kind of exciting. But I'm here about three weeks, and I realized I'm not going anywhere. My mom uh, just turned 90. She was 88 at the time, and she was uh, getting dementia. And she has no idea what day it is. Uh, she, doesn't, she doesn't know what year it is. Uh, she shouldn't drive. She's, she wasn't good at it. And a whole lot of reasons why I should stay here and take care of my mom. My brother lives about uh, 45 minutes away, 
And he's got a ton of denial going on about my mom and her condition. So I, rather than confront my brother, I just said, I'll stay here. So I've been here now, um, coming up on two years next month. And boy, the relationship that my mom and I have is amazing. She's 90 now. She can't remember a conversation from an hour ago. But there are things about her life that she's still able to do. She pays her bills. She can make her own food. She reads the LA Times cover to cover every day. Then she tries to do the crossword puzzle, which she isn't good at. And and we've had the most remarkable conversations. I found out how my mom and dad met. I didn't know that story. Uh, we uh, She's a diehard Angels fan. And so I bought a, a partial season ticket package last year and this year, and I take her to the ball game. And she loves going to the ball game. She loves Mike Trout. She thinks the sun rises and sets with him. She loves to people watch. Uh, and, and she just likes to go to the ball game. Uh, my job, well, I've had this job for 29 years, even though I'm retired, is I'm a baseball umpire. And I've been one for a long time. Uh, I've done everything from Little League to Division I college. And now mostly I do men's leagues and, and high school. And she likes to come watch me umpire. You know, and how cool is that? My mom wants to come watch me work. You know, and, and that, all of that stuff would not have happened if it weren't for this program. It uh, turns out my mom likes to grocery shop. Uh, so about once a week we go to Costco because that is the ultimate in retail therapy. Uh, and she likes to go and, and she keeps walking up and down the aisles saying, wow, wow, who eats all this stuff? Wow. You know, and it's fun because she doesn't remember that a week ago we were there. You know, and I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm so uh, grateful that this program has allowed that level of healing to go on in my family that uh, my mom will invite me to come and live with her. And I know she knows I'm taking care of her. I make sure she gets to the dentist and the doctor and she gets her drugs and all that stuff, but I'm not sure she really understands that I'm taking care of her. Uh, and, and it just, it warms my heart when she says things like, you know, I'm really glad you're here. Oh, mom, can I buy you a Porsche? So um, I am incredibly grateful to this program. Uh, you know, uh, it does heal families if you just give it the time to do it. Uh, and I, I wouldn't have this opportunity uh, without it. So that's all I got. I don't know much more. So I will shut up before I prove that I don't know much more. Peter, thank you for asking me to share tonight. Thank you, everybody. My name is Peter Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I've been an alcoholic since September 1st, 2015. Before that, I was just a drunk. Um, you know, uh, is, 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 I'm, I'm going to, I'm working on my shares lately. I, I, you know, I had a kind of a story down for a long time. Um, and I'm kind of freestyling a little, a little bit these days. So I might jump back and forth. Um, you know, I was I was sitting around my house earlier and I was thinking about going to a meeting and I'm in some big group chat with a bunch of people from Hayward um, and some some lady uh, said, hey, I'm supposed to be sharing this thing, but I can't get out of the thing I'm doing. Does anybody want to go share for me? And I said, you know what? I was 
just thinking about going to a meeting. I think this is God telling me to go to a meeting. So I, I texted Laura and Laura said, yeah, it's great. It's a 10 minute share. And I'm like, oh, I've never done a 10 minute share. Okay. I'm just going to say, yeah, I drank my way through high school and I drank my way through my twenties. And uh, there were lots of problems. Uh, and then this is what I did. Um, and then her speaker didn't show up. And, I said, and they're like, well, you want to do a whole hour? And I'm like, ooh, I can do an hour, I guess. I've done it once before. It's been a couple years. And then I'm like, hey, why don't I get my sponsor to come in and maybe he'll give me 10 minutes and break this up a little bit. So this is really special for me. Jay has been my sponsor for going on three years now, I think, in the end of July. Um, you know, I asked him to share. I asked him to be my sponsor and he gave me his number. He said, call me every day. And he said, you know what? This weekend's my birthday. Me and a friend of mine have been sharing our every we've been sharing our every five year AA birthdays together since we were 15 years old. Uh, we're going to be 30 this year. Come by Saturday and, and see everybody and, and do it. And I'm like, OK, because at that point I need I, I was willing to go to the length. I didn't know if I was willing to go to any length because I didn't know what any length meant. Um, but I showed up at this party. And there were 50 or 60 people there and everybody was having a great time. And there were kids running around and there was cake uh, and barbecue and everything. And it was just great. And I, I couldn't imagine before this time people having fun without alcohol. I'd been sober two years and some change, um, you know, and I'd heard we're not a glum lot time after time after time. Uh, but I'd never actually seen it in action. And here were all these people celebrating uh, my sponsor, my future sponsor and this other woman, Barine's birthday. Um, and there were some, you know, it was just, it was just really amazing and eye-opening to me to see um, that you could, you can have fun and be a human being still and be sober. You know, I mean, it just, uh, it was really amazing and inspiring. It really got me, it, it sold me. It sold me on calling him every day on doing the things he told me he wanted me to do. Um, you know, that really, that really sealed the deal for me instantly. <clears throat> so I guess I'll go back to the beginning. Uh, I drank, I got drunk for the first time at 13. Uh, I was hanging out with a bunch of kids that I probably shouldn't have been, but I didn't feel, I didn't have a terrible lot of self-esteem. So I, uh, you know, I hung out with people I shouldn't have because they might've been my friend, but I wasn't comfortable enough to, really fine friends of my own. Um, and I got drunk and the thing happened where I forgot thinking of, I, I stopped thinking about myself and I stopped thinking that I had low self-esteem and I, you know, and, uh, that I didn't remember that these burnt kids I should be hanging out with and they weren't really my friends, but I was hanging out with them and it was great until I was throwing, sticking my finger down a throat and a park bench four hours later, because I drank a whole bottle of Southern comfort and two or three Mickey's big mouth forties and whatever else I did, because I was blacked out. And I don't remember what else I did and drank, um, you know, so I was drinking alcoholically from the get go at 13 years old. I had my first blackout with my first drunk and I made myself vomit for the first time. But I remember that feeling like so many of us do. Uh, and from then on, I was kind of just always looking for some booze. Um, my dad, I live up here in Sonoma County in wine country. My dad and some other guy made a bunch of wine and it was not very good but there were 50 or 60 cases of wine in our garage. And by God, my brother and I spent the next three or four years drinking Chardonnay with orange juice, with seven up, we'd stick it in the freezer and just pop the cork and pound it as fast as we could. Um, you know, and I woke up 
more mornings than I can count burping Chardonnay. Um, and I don't recommend it, <clears throat> you know, and then, <clears throat> you know, I'd come home from off campus lunch and I, I drink some of my dad's brandy. Uh, I had, I, I had, uh, ceramics after lunch and my teacher thought I was awesome and she loved me. So I made this big giant 26 ounce ceramic mug and I'd come in and I'd give my dad's brandy a couple squeezes and I'd pop open one of his diet Pepsis and I'd splash it in there. And then I'd go back to school with this, this 26 ounce brandy and diet Pepsi thing. And I'd sit in class and drink it and make play with clay. Um, and I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and it helped me through my anxieties about being me. Um, anyways, the, my twenties were much the same thing. I kind of found jobs where I could get drunk and there weren't a lot of consequences. Um, you know, I had problems, but most of them were social. Um, I got too drunk at a lot of weddings and made a fool out of myself. And, you know, I fell down. I, I made it in the newspaper once because I drank a bottle of brandy at my friend's house and they drove me home and I passed out before I could get home and they just opened the door and pushed me into the parking, into the driveway. And the newspaper delivery guy called the cops uh, and said there was a dead body. So that the police log that week said, oh, there's a dead body found in a driveway. Um, and it was just me, big drunk Pete, passed out in the driveway. Um, at the time, my dad and my brother were pretty pissed and gave me a bunch of shit about it. And my mom stood up for me. And then when it made it into the paper, my mom was real pissed at me and my dad and my brother stood up for me. Um, but that's the kind of thing I did. I got drunk and I, I made my family, my family worry about me um, because when I started drinking, I didn't stop. Um, I'm not an everyday drinker. Uh, I'm a, when I get it, I'm going to drink all of it drinker. Um, if you give me one, I'm going to have two. And if I have two, I'm going to have three. And if I have three, I'm going to have a thousand until I pass out. Um, and it doesn't matter if I black out or not, because I'm going to keep operating for four or five hours blacked out. Um, that's the way I drank. You know, um, <clears throat> I ended up working in the kitchen of a, a brew pub. Um, and when the servers messed up, I'd fix their orders and they'd bring me a, a, a pint of beer. The pint eventually turned into a pitcher and I'd be sitting there on the line cooking food and drinking pitchers of beer um, and just getting really, really messed up. And then the next day I'd wake up and I'd be throwing up in the trash can while cooking on the line and they would bring me more beer and it would just keep going on. You know, I was just like, I'm not going to drink today but then the server would mess up, you know, and, and that was the, ins the insanity of the disease. Uh, I just get drunk and say, what am I doing this for? And then I get drunk again and then I throw up in the trash can and then I get drunk again. And then, you know, cause once I get it in me, I'm not stopping, you know, um, <clears throat> that's yeah. So, but it seemed normal at the time. It's like, Oh, everybody must drink like this. I wonder if, you know, I, I kind of thought I saw a lot of people that didn't drink and I'm like, well, they must not drink because they drink. They think like me, you know, one one drink gets in them and, and off they are to the races. Um, you know, I knew I knew the way I drank wasn't healthy, but it's just everything was normal to me because that's the way I was living my life. You know, uh, so I moved on down the road. I started working at a bar um, and I met this woman who uh, decided that she liked me a whole lot. Um, I tried to bake her up with her a couple times and she wasn't having that. So, um, you know, when you have a stalker, there's two things you can do. There's, you can call the cops and you can get a restraining order or you can take the easy way out and just marry him. So I married this woman, um, you know, and, uh, I knew she didn't like me drinking too much. So 
I kind of curbed it down a little bit and, you know, I was successful for a little while. Um, but I did something real stupid at our wedding and she was real mean to me for a lot of years. Um, and then, uh, you know, I used to get drunk and she would, she would, I didn't have any, I didn't have any tolerance for her stuff when I was drunk, you know, and I would yell at her and I would tell her she was stupid and other stupid things like that. Um, you know, and a couple years went by and my drinking was getting worse and worse. Uh, you know, I was blacking out three or four days a week. Uh, I was working at a bar the whole time, bartending or working the door, um, work until three or four o'clock in the morning so I could drink as much as I want. And she would go to work and I'd get home at seven in the morning, climb into bed and after she and she'd get up out of bed 20 minutes after I got into it. You know, we lived our lives like that for a while. Um, in 2015, uh, I started that year uh, with a dry January. I knew my drinking was getting out of hand and I didn't know what to do about it. So I figured, let's do a test. You know, uh, if you can not drink for a month, you'll be fine. You know, so I, I didn't drink in January. Or, well, I tried to dry January and I only got drunk three times. So I figured I was a success, you know, three times. That's that's way better. Um, you know, and I didn't think I had a problem or I convinced myself I didn't. You know, and I went through and then that summer, I had a really bad summer. I had five or six really, really bad drunks um, beyond the beyond the regular. Like I'm just blacking out for an hour here or there, like just making a mess, breaking stuff, falling down, you know, all the things we do. Um, <clears throat> and on August 31st, I went out with some friends. We were going to do a fantasy football draft. And the guy who talked me into doing it said, oh, it's a real casual league. Don't worry about it. Just show up and have fun. And I showed up and everybody had a, a fantasy football draft monthly and two guys had laptop computers and pads of paper and were taking notes. And I'm like, I'm, I don't even know half the guys in the gosh darn league. And you guys are taking notes and got fantasy football monthly. Like what the heck is going on? So I proceeded to drink the 20 beers that I brought to the party. Um, and then I drank some of the tequila that the guy had in his house, which was against my religion. And then I drank some fireball that was in the house, which was very much against my religion, uh, you know, and I got blackout drunk and I went with another friend down the street. We walked to a bar. Uh, we were there for a couple hours, I think. Um, you know, I don't know. I was I was I was blacked out, you know, um, and eventually they poured me into a cab and I went home and I tried to cook a bunch of food and I left the stove on and I passed out in a chair. Um, and the house filled up with smoke and my wife woke up and tried to wake me up and my dog was trying to wake me up and they couldn't wake me up, um, you know, and this was not the first time I tried to burn my house down. Um, and the next morning I woke up with that feeling that I'm sure a lot of us have, other of you have, that feeling of dread that I did something wrong and I have no idea what it was, but I knew I screwed up. Uh, I pissed somebody off. I'd done something and I went in the kitchen. The kitchen was a mess. And I cleaned it up a little bit. And my wife used to take our dog to work with her. And then it was normal. I'd come pick the dog up and take her up to the dog park or to the river or something. And I went to pick the dog up and she closed her office door and uh, said, you need to take care of this fucking thing or I'm going to take care of it for us. Um, you know, and I knew what that meant. I, I knew I was probably going to lose my house and I was probably going to lose my dog. And I was going to lose my marriage. Uh, <clears throat> I know why I put that third now. I've done some work around that and that, that is, that was third on my priority list. And it's, you know, for a reason, um, you know, and, and I was just, 
I was so tired of being full of shame. I was so tired of hating myself. I was so tired of waking up, not knowing how I got to bed, what I'd done before I went to bed, not remembering chunks of night, not remembering if I closed the bar right or how I got home or any of the other things that I kept blacking out and forgetting. You know, I, I was tired of going to weddings and having to apologize for my, my behavior. I was, I was just sick and tired of, of getting drunk again time after time after time, like, and, and ask himself, why? Why did I have to get drunk again here? Why did I have to get, and I don't know. I didn't know why I had to get drunk, you know, and I didn't know what to do about it. Um, I knew that alcohol had beat me. I knew that I couldn't have a drink without getting drunk. And, um, and I called my doctor, uh, I left a message, um, and, uh, I, I looked up AA on the internet. Um, this was a Monday night. I went and got drunk on a Monday night. Tuesday night, I had to bartend uh, from six to three in the morning. That was when I went and picked my dog up. The next night, Wednesday night at nine o'clock at night in Santa Rosa at a dry out detox place, uh, there was a nitty gritty little meeting called the Midweek Insomniacs. And that sounded perfect to me. Um, I didn't have any preconceived notions about AA. I didn't have any preconceived notions about God. Um, I showed up at this meeting and there were four or five, six people there. Um, they had really bad coffee and powdered creamer. And I drank a bunch of it. And they said, is anybody, are there any newcomers tonight? And I said, well, this is my first meeting. I didn't say my name. I didn't say I was an alcoholic. I just said, this is my first meeting. And they, the six people there broke into applause and said, oh my God, that's awesome. How are you? You know, and and talk to me and, and, and the whole thing. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and then they read how it works. And I heard cutting, baffling, and powerful. Um, and I sat bolt up right up in my chair. Um, and then they read more about alcoholism. And I had identified with every way they tried to stop drinking in that book. Um, I bought a motorcycle at one point because I knew too many people that got drunk and died on motorcycles. So I, I got a motorcycle so I could not drink. And all the only thing that happened, I would drive to where I'm going and then I would get drunk. Um, you know, I, I took trips. I didn't take trips. I, I tried to drink only at work. I tried to not drink at work. I tried to only drink one day a week. You know, I tried to do all these things. Um, and I was given the gift of identification at that first meeting. Um, here was this book that these people were reading out of and they were talking about me. Um, and I knew this is where I belonged. Um, they had asked if anybody wanted to be a coffee maker at this meeting. Um, and I said, I, I need this. This is where I belong. Um, so I stayed after the meeting for the steering committee meeting. And they were talking about everything. And there's this one old guy uh, named Cricket. Um, and he was called Cricket because he was always chirping up. Uh, but he had about 23, 24 years of sobriety. Um, you know, and he said, well, did you feel anybody to be the coffee maker? And I said, well, I'm here to be the coffee maker. And he's like, good, you got a guy to be the coffee maker. Because the secretary at the meeting was the literature guy. He was the grapevine rep. He was the treasurer. Uh, he was making coffee and he was secretary in the meeting. Um, and there was one guy that had one other commitment. There was one guy that had a commitment. And then the secretary was all these other things. Um, so I took, I picked up the coffee commitment. And I went to that meeting every week for a long time. And then I found another Friday meeting at noon that I could go to. And then I found a Tuesday at 10 a.m. meeting I could go to. Um, and I found some other meetings. Um, 
in that first year of sobriety, I did hear a lot of the suggestions. I, I came to a lot of meetings and I just, I just, just able to identify with people's stories. Um, you know, the, I, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was still scared of looking at anybody in the eye. Um, I got in, I drank some bad coffee with powdered creamer and I got out. That's what I did. Um, after I, and I started feeling good about myself. You know, I, I was making coffee. I, I talked to a couple people. Um, but I was getting stuff out of the identification of the meetings. Uh, after seven or eight months of that, um, my, I started to plateau. I started feeling less good about things. I started getting restless, irritable, and discontent again. Um, and I started listening at meetings. And at every meeting I started going to, I heard people say, get a sponsor and work the steps. Get a sponsor and work the steps. Um, you know, and I didn't really know what the steps were, even though we read them at every meeting. And they're on the wall at most places. Um, you know, but everywhere I went, get a sponsor, get a, you know, get a sponsor, do the steps. Um, and there was one guy that I wasn't scared to death of. Uh, he was a greeter at the Tuesday morning, uh, Tuesday morning meeting. Um, and I said, Hey, he's, he was taught, chatting me up and, and we were friendly. And I said, Hey man, will you be my sponsor? And he's like, Whoa, okay. I thought we were just going to be AA buddies, but sure. You know, we can do this. Um, you know, he had about two years of sobriety. He'd been through the steps, um, you know, and we got together and we started doing work. We also told a lot of war stories. Um, I wouldn't recommend having a sponsor that you sit around and tell war stories with, uh, really it's important to get into the work. Um, but we did it, you know, I did uh, one, two, uh, we went outside and got on our knees in the rain and did step three, did the, the third step prayer together. Uh, I did a fearless and moral inventory. Um, I was pretty thorough. I was as thorough as I could be at the time. Um, I did the fifth step with him. Uh, he was not particularly good at pointing out my side of things. Um, I had a, I had a resentment against the chapter four the, to the agnostic. And I think I passed it on to him instead of him relieving me of that resentment. Um, and, uh, but I felt relief as I did, as soon as I did that fifth step with him, I felt a tremendous amount of relief. Um, and I was, and I was on that pink cloud again. Um, we did six, step six and step seven. Um, I started making a list of people I had harmed. Um, and I was feeling so good. Um, I guess I should, I always forget this part. Uh, when I got sober, I went back to school, um, back to college. I started working on getting an AA in, uh, accounting because I was tired of bartending and I was sober now and, I didn't think I should take bartending while being or do it. I did bartend for four and a half years sober. Um, but I went back to school and my life was getting really full. Um, and I'd gotten so much relief out of the fifth step. And I was working on my character defects. And I was just so busy doing all these things. I said, well, I can skip this meeting. And my commitment started to run out. And I said, well, I, I, this, this, this Wednesday night meeting that got me sober uh, was so late now and I had to wake up early to go to school and I was just so tired and well I won't go to that meeting this week and and I won't go to this meeting this week and it ended up being about six months uh, that I didn't go to a meeting and I took a motorcycle trip up to Eureka and I went to four meetings in two days and every meeting I went to I heard somebody say I stopped going to meetings I stopped talking to my sponsor uh, I stopped working with sponsees and I went out I had five years, I had seven years, I had 15 years of sobriety and I gave it up because I stopped doing these things. Um, it took me one year, it took me two years, it took me 18 years to get back in these rooms. And I was terrified again. Uh, 
I felt, I felt the darkness creeping back up on me. I was restless, irritable, and discontent once more. Um, and I, I knew if I went back out, um, I was going to lose all my stuff. I was going to give it up to alcohol because, because I don't, I didn't, when I drink, I drink, you know, I don't, I don't play around, you know, and it was, as soon as I knew if I, I went back out and I left, my wife left me and took all my stuff. I had nothing holding me back from just drinking everything in the entire world, you know? And, uh, and that terrified me because I could feel my, my thirst being so strong. Um, so I came back to Healdsburg. Uh, I started going back to the, the Friday nooners meeting that I always went to. I started going to the Tuesday, uh, met at the Doyle Park Clubhouse. Uh, I found some other meetings to go to. So I was doing at least five meetings a week, uh, three to five meetings a week. Um, and I started looking around for sponsors. I, I had my sponsor list down to three guys. I went to, a, I went to a meeting where they normally hang out. Only, only one of them showed up and I said, you're my guy, you know, and he gave me his phone number. He said, call me every day. And I went to that birthday party, like I talked about earlier, and I was shown a new world. Um, and so he said, call me every day. I called him every day. I missed a couple times. I was not perfect. Uh, he said, you're going to come over to my house once a week. We're going to, we're going to get it and we're going to read out of the book. And we went through the big book paragraph by paragraph. I took copious notes and underlined and double underlined and triple underlined things. Um, and I listened to him tell me these things and I asked questions occasionally. Um, and I learned about how to do stuff and I went and did another four step with him. And he actually relieved me of my resentment against we, the agnostics, uh, and mostly my resentment against the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers, although I still carry that burden from time to time, 18 weeks a year. Um, <clears throat> anyways, that's an outside issue that I'm still working on. Um, you know, and, and I did this damn thing, and I got through the steps, and... Uh, the relief that I felt from working these steps uh, was not instantaneous. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it's taken time, you know. Uh, you know, I was still terrified to talk to people when I came to this room. So one of the reasons I picked my sponsor is because I saw him at a lot of meetings and before he'd come early and he would talk to everybody. He'd work the room, he'd shake hands, he'd make people laugh, he'd commiserate with people, he'd help people out. Uh, and I wanted that because I still was uncomfortable in my skin. I still did not like myself. And I, I, the only way I could talk to people is if I had a job. If I was at work behind the bar, behind the pine, serving drinks, I could talk to anybody. But it was just me, when it was just Peter, when it wasn't drunk Peter, when it wasn't bartender Peter. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I was terrified of people, you know. And here was this guy who had a bunch of sobriety and he could talk to everybody. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to talk to people with impunity and not be scared about it, you know, and that's something that I've, I've, I'm on the brink of gaining most of the time, you know, I, most of the time I can talk to people and I'm not scared. I'm not self-conscious. Um, and it's one of the gifts, one of the greatest gifts from this program. Um, 38 minutes. So I got like 20 minutes left. Um, so where do I want to go? You know, I'm going to talk about what do I want to talk about. So 
So get a sponsor and work the steps. I'm going to throw that out there. Um, what are the things I don't talk about? I don't talk about God as much as I should. Um, when I first came to this program, as I said, I had no preconceived notions about God. Uh, my dad is a recovering Catholic to this day, and my mom's family were Mennonites and some other weird thing. And she she went to church and at six years old said, this is BS. I don't want to go any mother anymore. And her mom said, sure, that's fine. You don't have to go. And the rest of the family went to church and she got to stay home. Um, and my mom and dad are both spurned from religion and didn't enforce it on my brother and I. Um, so I, I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know how to pray. Um, I didn't know what God was or what God was to other people. And I didn't really care, you know, but when I came to this program, they started talking about God um, and we do the prayers. And that was a little weird at first, but you know, it is what it is. If it helps people get sober, then, then gosh, damn it. I got to do it too. Um, you know, and I've come to develop a certainty that, that there's something out there that wants me to be the best me I can be. Um, I've had too many coincidences uh, where I've been saved from, from a near drink. Um, when I was still bartending, I, was, I had my first sponsor. I was about a year and a half sober. Um, and some guy ordered a rum and tonic, which is a stupid drink. Who drinks rum and tonic? Um, and I made him a rum and Diet Coke um, because that's a much more sensible drink. And, and then I, I caught it and I said, shoot, he wanted a rum and tonic. So I put the drink, the rum and diet to the side of my pour mat. I made him the rum and tonic and my, that rum and diet was sitting there on my pour mat. And my, my, my old motto was we drink our mistakes. And so that went through my head. And then I said, and then this thing, my crazy alcoholic mind said, well, you never drank rum. You're a whiskey guy. You, you could drink a glass of rum and be fine. Like that's not going to set you off. And then I said, oh, oh, that's a bad idea. And I jumped that drink real quick. Um, but that was reverberating in my head. Rum's not going to get you. 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 And I went in my back room and I tried to call my sponsor and I texted him. Uh, he, he was out on a date with his girlfriend. And he didn't get back to me the next morning. And, and this was just rolling and rolling through my head. And suddenly I had a, a party of 26 people came in. And I ran my ass off for the next three hours serving this group of people. And, and other people came in and it just got to be a really busy Sunday. And the next day, my sponsor calls. He's sorry, I, I didn't get back to you. And I told him what happened. And he said, thank God. And, and I don't know if he said it just because that's something you say or if he said it because he thinks we should thank God for that. But I took it as the second. Um, yeah, thank God those people came in. Thank God it wasn't slow anymore. Thank God God gave me something to do with my brain. So I wasn't sitting there thinking about drinking rum and tonic, uh, which is ah, gross. Uh, you know, I mean, because that, that was, it was there. That was that was that was my when I came willing to believe that there was something out there. That was my 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 came to believe moment, um, you know. And so I, I try and have a practice of prayer. Um, I try and pray every more every night. I'm much better at praying at night than I am at the mornings. Um, I, I do the serenity prayer and I do the third step prayer. Um, when I pray at night, I try and thank God for the things that I got in my day, starting with my sobriety. Um, you know, when I pray in the morning, uh, I say the third, the, I say the serenity prayer and the third step prayer. And I try and ask God to help me be of service today and show me his path. Um, and because I've proved to myself over 35 years 
the, my best thinking is the wrong way to go. Um, I need, I need some help uh, guiding my steps. And I know from being a coffee maker, from doing literature, from doing grapevine, from doing intergroup, uh, that when I'm of service, I'm not thinking about me. And when I'm not thinking about me, I'm, I'm damn sight better off than I am when I'm thinking about this guy, you know, when I'm just reverberating in my own head um, and staying busy helping other people will keep me out of my head. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, and then, so that's my prayer. Um, I've been working on meditating. Um, I heard in, in a 11 step meeting six or seven months ago, uh, a guy was talking and he was telling my story and he said, I had six years of sobriety and I didn't know how to meditate, you know? And I, I, I tried sitting cross-legged like a monk and I don't get it and I didn't get it. And, and, I, and I shared this at a meeting level. And after the meeting, uh, this guy walks up to me and he says, you know, uh, meditation is like riding a bicycle. It's something you got to practice at. Like, it's not something you just do. Like, uh, that's why they call it the practice of meditation. And he shared this at this meeting and my whole world exploded. Like, duh, like, you don't, you know, you don't can't do math. You can't ride a bike. You can't cook without practice. Everything in this world that's worthwhile takes hard work, you know, just like this program. Um, and so I've been the last six months, uh, I've been practicing on practicing my meditation. Um, I try and be mindful of those moments where I am mindless. Um, I find that, uh, I find God and I can listen to him, uh, much better when I'm out in nature or when I'm exercising or when I'm riding my motorcycle, that's when my, my brain clears out and it's just, just me. It's just, it, I'm just one with everything. Uh, I've been swimming laps at the pool lately and, uh, you know, I can string together five, six, seven laps and just, and not know what happened now. And it's, it's glorious. Uh, I, I skipped Monday and Tuesday this week. Um, and Wednesday I was out of my head and I didn't know what was up. And then I'm like, Oh, I didn't swim. And then I'm like, Oh, I really, I didn't realize that I, you know, I knew swimming was good for me, but I didn't realize how much it was doing for, for this, uh, till this week, you know, just, just the being mindful and, you know, getting in the pool for 30 minutes and swimming laps and just trying to concentrate on my stroke and just trying to concentrate on my breathing and not letting my brain think about stuff and just, just being, uh, it's, it's really, it's really helping me out a lot. Um, it's really expanding my happiness and my ability to be willing to, to be selfless, you know, to be of service to other people. Um, you know, uh, I don't know what my God is. Um, I, I don't need to, I don't need to know. I, my sponsor says that when you start defining your God, you start limiting him. Um, you know, and I've heard so many times, uh, other people in meetings say that, if my God was big enough, small enough for me to understand him, he wouldn't be big enough to take care of my problems. You know, so, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to define my God. I don't need to understand my God. All I need to know is there's something out there that wants me to be the best me I can be. And that's what I hold on to. And if I'm grateful and thankful to that being, uh, that power that's trying to help me out, um, then I'm more in tune with the world and I can, I can get through things, you know, um, uh, you know, and having an attitude where life is something that I get to take part in. Um, life isn't something that happens to me today. 
you know, when I was out there drinking, I was such a victim. Um, you would drink if you had my, the wife I had too. You'd drink if I had the job I had too. You know, you'd drink if uh, you didn't have the friends you had or if the girl at the date stood you up, you'd drink like I drink, you know. Um, and that was just the way I went through life. Uh, what was me? Poor me. Um, you know, and now I know that, that life isn't fair. It's, 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 it just is, you know, it's something we get to participate in. It's what we make of it. Um, and if I work and I, I employ the principles of this program and all my affairs, you know, life is amazing. Um, you know, I said, I went back to school. Um, I, I took some IRS tests and I became an enrolled agent, um, in 2019. Um, I've been trying for the last couple of years to get a job in an accounting firm. Uh, in October of this year, I got hired as a CPA office and I'm doing taxes for a guy. Um, and, you know, for, 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 a, for a, a drunk, I'm doing pretty good. You know, uh, you know, my wife left me uh, a week after my fifth birthday, um, but it just happened to my sponsor. Had just gone through the same thing a week before and he walked me through it. And he said, hey, when you're feeling like this, I tried this and it didn't work for me. When I, when I was feeling what you're feeling now, I tried this and it worked out pretty good. Um, you know, and he was there and I, I called to him almost every day. You know, we were on the phone with each other, you know, and that's the beauty of this program. Uh, it's, I'm able to ident identify with the things he says because he went before me. Um, those of us in the program that are getting sober are, you know, we're there ahead of other people, you know. If you have a month, there's a guy with two months that was right where you are. If you got a year, there's a guy with two years that just did what you did. You know, if you're on step four, there's a guy that's on step five, you know, and, and nobody understands an alcoholic like an alcoholic. You know, that's the magic of this program. Go out and catch the magic. Um, I got 10 minutes left to fill. I talked about God. I talked about the things in my life. Oh, I have a, I have a girlfriend who is also in the program. Um, we pray to every, and we pray together every night before bed, um, and it is the best thing in the world. Um, she's she's moving into my apartment, my house soon. Um, she's scared to death because she's a wild creature and she's been on her own for a long time, uh, you know. But I'm I'm just gonna trust the process. Um, I, she's got to have a room to herself where she can run away when she's mad at me. Um, you know, and, and I can go to a meeting and she can go to her meetings and it's just, it's going to be good. You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really special being with somebody else that's in the program that understands the things that I've been through and I'm going through, um, and the, and the solution, you know, um, one of the problems with my ex was that she didn't understand why I had to go to meetings. She thought I was the type of guy that could stop drinking and just maybe have one or two every once in a while. Um, she resented the fact that I, I, uh, that I put my sobriety before her, you know, um, which I don't have to take her inventory. That's fine. You know, I'm, I'm saying these things as observations, not as, not as resentments. Um, because what I have now is better than what I had then. Um, my life is full. I've, I've, uh, I have a Monday mornings. I'm a secretary to a, the Hayward breakfast club meeting at six 30 in the morning. If you guys are around up at that time of morning, you're more than welcome to come by. It's a daily reflection of the meeting. 
Uh, Thursday night, I host a big book study meeting on a phone line. So if you don't want to do your hair and you just want to talk to people into the darkness, uh, you can come join us there. Um, and then I go, I'm a treasurer to a, for Healdsburg uh, Friday night in-person meeting. Um, it's a speaker meeting. If you're ever up in Healdsburg, come up to the Good Shepherd Church at eight o'clock Friday nights. Um, it's a meeting that's been around for a long time and there's, there's a lot of good sobriety there. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I couldn't have done this thing without everybody in these rooms. Um, I couldn't have done this thing by myself. Without, without the program, without the people, the triangle, the triangle is really, it's really appropriate. You know, um, just having the program isn't enough for me. I need the fellowship and I need to be of service. Um, you know, if I just had a book with some steps, that would be meaningless to me. You know, I, I was staring at those things on the wall for, for a year before I finally started doing them and they didn't do me any damn good. Um, you know, but when you get with somebody else that's done them, who's read the book that understands the archaic writing is written in, um, you know, and, and they can walk you through it. And then you get this, you get to be of service, you get to show up. So there's meetings for other people, um, you know, so the, the suffering alcoholic can find a place to be, um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is, is a really special place. And um, I'm, I'm going to stop sharing. That's all I got. Um, I don't know what you guys want to do with your eight minutes, but uh, thank you all for having me.